0: Let's talk about people problems today. Here's my question for you. How do you keep from being overwhelmed by people problems? If you are a discipler, by the way, you are a discipler. If you name the name of Christ, therefore you love people and you're looking for ways to interact with them so that you can help them. And as you also know that when you're helping people it is a messy business and sometimes you can become overwhelmed by the people problems and so how do you balance that how do you live in a state of shalom restfulness and how do you help people and not let them control you, especially those who aren't changing? Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a little bit of, of experience with helping people. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, they don't change according to my timetable or they don't change at all. And I don't typically change according to people's timetable as well. And so the big question is how to keep from being overwhelmed by people's problems. If you want to talk about this, please go to our website. You can ask your questions there. We have a free public forum that's open to anybody in the world who has access to the Internet Get your username and password, which is free, and then you can talk about this idea of discipleship, counseling, people, problems, messiness, and being overwhelmed. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, well, you can go to our private forum and you can ask your question there. Maybe you have something else that you want to ask, and that would be great. We would love to interact with you. You're welcome to share this if you wish. This would be an excellent small group discussion uh, send it to your small group team your members and have them to read it beforehand and then come to the small meeting ready to discuss it I think you would have a lively and energizing and edifying conversation if you used it that way or you can use it in other ways as well like homework assignments but let me get into it and I want to get into it by presenting to you the template the paragon Uh, the one who did it perfectly. Nobody loved people more than Jesus. I don't think that I have to argue that point. I'm sure you agree. He loved people, not just loved them, but he loved them perfectly. But here's the next statement. Nobody was less controlled by people than Jesus, and that is the rub. That's where the tension exists. If you're going to love people, there will be a temptation to overlove, to over-care, to over-worry, to transgress lines, and at some point, people can control you, but Jesus found and lived in the perfect relational sweet spot of, quote, I love you, but you will not control me. Now, how about you? As you love people with the gospel, do you find yourself being controlled by them? I want to give you a test here in just a moment, and you can discern for yourself if you are one of those people that's easily controlled by others. The most discerning parents, pastors, small group leaders, and other caregivers are those who can love well while not being weighed down by the problems of those who are receiving their care. Have you ever crossed the line when providing care to others? I know that you have, and I have done this many times. And because you have, you may be able to recognize some of the attitudes and actions that come out of a person who overfeels the weight of people problems. I want to give you a list here of of things that will be it will be a tip-off as to whether you're over caring for someone. You're let's say that you, you have a friend and you're interacting with them discipling them just being a friend a biblical friend and they're struggling or you see a pattern in their life that you want them to uh, gain victory and you are helping them in that way but they are not changing and now you've been interacting with them for a few weeks a few months maybe even a few years how do you know if you cross the line and you're over-caring? Well, here are some of the things that you can look at to examine yourself. Anger is the easy one and the expected tip. Uh, if you are sinfully angry at the unchanging person, despair is another. Frustration, being impatient with people, or going to the other extreme, being apathetic. Apathy. You just don't care anymore. You just, you just quit On them, Perhaps fear, that's a big one, right? You are afraid, you see the decisions that they are making and you can kind of predict how this is gonna end for them and their future and it's not gonna end well and so you fear to where fear becomes gripping. Maybe guilt as you examine yourself and realize that I could have said that better, I could have done it differently. Criticalness, harshness, retaliation, reactionary, accusations, faithlessness, another form of giving up on the person, burnout, they've just worn you out now, a lot of caregivers fall into this ditch and it's it's a deep ditch by the way, regret, escapes, procrastination, blame, avoidance, anxiety, worry, hopelessness, shame, You even have health problems. I have an article on my website where it's titled something like where the sin of others can, can cause health problems. And that's where the spiritual issue of worry or fear or anger or despair over an unchanging person can start to affect you physically. Grumbling about them and then finally defensiveness. These are some of the things, and it would be good for you if you went to this article. It's titled, How to Keep from Being Overwhelmed by People Problems, and everything on this list will not be yours, but some of these things you can own, because you do love people, and if you love people, you will over love, and you'll fall into some of these bad spots, and it would be important for you to to underline some of these so that you can begin to address them, which I hope that this podcast will help you to do, because any of these things can become recurring patterns in your life. It's one thing to do this episodically, to have one of these issues episodically in your life that I've listed here, but they can become recurring patterns, and it is right. I mean, all of us collectively can say, yeah, we have dropped the ball on some of these because we're not perfect, but it's vital for you to know that, that these things are only problems if they do become patterns in your life, and that's where you want to distinguish between episodic failure and it is a recurring pattern, and you'll know if it's a recurring pattern if you do it over and over and over again. The most common situation where a caregiver will struggle with some of the things that I've listed out here for you is when they come up against the unchanging person, that individual that you have talked to repeatedly, but they stay stuck in the same rut. It is a kind. It's kind of like when the immovable object meets the irresistible force. It's rare for me to struggle with a person who responds to counsel positively, (laughs) and that doesn't happen statistically uh, as often as the others, those who don't change, and that's where I get in trouble, is when I go around and around and around and around and around and around again with someone, and they don't change, and this tension is one of the more unusual things about the life of Jesus, and so let's transition here and not make it so much about you. Or in this case, make it so much about me. And let's talk about Christ and how he interacted with a bunch of unchangeable people like you and me. He was a man of sorrows. Yes, Isaiah said that. He was acquainted with grief. He felt the weight. He felt the sadness. His sadness and grieving, however, did not rule his heart. And that makes him our example when it comes to dealing with difficult people. And the good news is that there is a way for us to cast our anxieties on the Lord the way Peter told us in 1 Peter 5. Because we all are called to go and make disciples. That's the great commission. And we can rest in the assurance that the Father has provided the grace we need to do the heavy lifting of soul care. And so as I move into this, I want to give you some tips here in just a moment, but let me ask you a few questions, additional questions to get your mind focused on this idea. Is it normal for you to be overwhelmed by those you want to help? How about this? Do you tend to lose faith for certain people who are not changing according to your timetable or your expectations? This is the apathy part I was talking about earlier, the the faithlessness part, giving up. A third question, are you easily frustrated by those who don't seem to receive and respond well to your advice? And then finally, do you over-worry or over-fret about those closest to you who are making unwise decisions? If any of these things describe or kindly describe you in a kind of way, my appeal is for you to consider the Jesus model for soul care. He had a replicatable way of helping people that, if emulated, will position you to be more productive today while giving you the perseverance to care for others for years to come. And so with that in mind, I want to give you six things that, that I see in the life of Jesus, and I hope that they will benefit you. They are not in any particular Order, but I want to give you six things to think about to help hopefully moderate you a little bit if you are tempted to cross the line with the unchanging person. The first one is don't let others control you. I know that sounds so simplistic, but you do want to wrestle with this. Just don't let others control you. Now, I, I know Jesus was not disinterested in people, he was not. He loved people. We, we would never say that he, that he was an unloving person, but sometimes it felt as though he was by some of the things that he said. But the truth is, is that he had a fantastic ability to release himself from people's manipulations and drama. He wasn't disinterested, and that's the line. I mean, that's where the line is. You can detach yourself from the manipulations and drama of others, but still yet love them. You don't want to cross the line of being disinterested, but the truth is people had no power over Jesus. There was nothing people possessed that he needed, and the reason for that was because he was a full cup. You remember what Psalm 23, 5 says, "'My cup my cup runneth over.'" In the King James Bible, Jesus was a full cup. There was no room for anything else. He wasn't an empty love cup that needed somebody to accept him or approve him. No, he didn't need them that way. He was a full cup. His cup was full and overflowing like the psalmist said. If the person you're caring for has something you want, meaning you want them to accept you, you don't want them to reject you, then guess what? You're not a full cop. God is not filling you up. You need them to help fill you up and they will have power over you. Something will capture our hearts. Every heart is captured. And if it's not the sovereign Lord, then it's open season on our souls and we will be vulnerable to the thing we believe we must have. God is calling us to trust him regardless of what is going on in our lives. There is an active and powerful grace for this, a grace we must appropriate to rise above our problems. Now, if this is how you struggle, the first step in the process of grace appropriation is to admit, to confess that what you want for others has ensnared your heart. You want them to love you. You want them to approve you. Confess your sin to the Lord. Tell him how this problem has weakened your faith. You see, when Jesus became overwhelmed, and we see that in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, where he asked the Lord to remove this cup from him. But when he became overwhelmed at that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, his response was to get help from his father, and so if you find that there is something wrong with you in the context of what I'm speaking of here where others are controlling you, then you need to talk to God about that. But point number one, don't let others control you. And if they are controlling you, then apparently they have something that you want and you're being manipulated and you are permitting that to happen. Point number two, determine your relationship quality quality. What I mean by that is that Jesus knew what was right and wrong, and that is where he drew the line, right down the middle between what was right and what was wrong. That's how you draw the line, by the way. If anyone wanted to have a relationship with him, they knew where they could find him. They knew where he stood. They knew which side of the line that he was on. This posture puts the onus for change on them, not Jesus My point here is determine your relationship quality. You want people who want what God wants. Jesus hung out with those who wanted what God wanted. That's where he drew the line. He stood on that side of the line. And if someone wanted a relationship with him, they had to step over on that side of the line. If you wanted to hang with Jesus, they came to where he was. Now this attitude that I'm talking about here was not arrogance on his part, nor stubbornness. If you're trying to walk in holiness while shunning that which is evil, stand your ground. If others do not want to walk with you, let them go the way they believe they should go. But don't go with them. Don't be manipulated to walk down that path if they are choosing to walk down the wrong path. My point here is determine your relationship quality. There are other people but besides Jesus who did this. For example, in Joshua 24, 15, you know the passage very well. Joshua said that he and his house, they were going to follow the Lord. Now Joshua was not arrogant when he drew a line in the sand by letting people know where he and his house stood. In Matthew 12, Jesus was clear when he told the crowd that those who do the will of God are closer to him than blood kin who did not do the will of God. Do you remember what he said when they came to him? They said, Lord, your mother and your brothers are out here. And he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It's those who do the will of God. The line was drawn between right and wrong, not between my relatives and those who aren't my relatives. Jesus was very clear. In Mark 10:22, he was able to give clear counsel to a rich young man who wanted to get into heaven. And even though it was possible for the young man to walk away from this potential relationship that he could have with the Savior, I think he did walk away from that relationship. It says he went away sad because he had many riches, but Jesus, again, was not arrogant, was not st- uh, stubborn, was not aloof, was not disinterested in this young man. He loved him but he said that if you want to hang with me then go sell everything that you have and come follow me he was loving him the right way and you can love someone the right way if you don't need them that frees you from being manipulated by them and then we see a positive outcome of a similar thing in John 3 7 Nicodemus decided he wanted to walk with Jesus So he eventually heeded the counsel to become a Christ follower. The rich young man walked away. Nicodemus apparently walked with him. But Jesus was clear where the line was drawn. You don't have to be mean-spirited about your holy expectations regarding your relationship with the Lord, but you do need to be clear about them. If you're trying to walk with Jesus and your friends are pulling you away from this honorable desire, you need to let them know What has to change for a relationship with you to continue? So point number two is determine your relationship quality. Point number three, learn to say no. When Mary and Martha came to Jesus asking him about hot-footing it over to where their brother Lazarus was dying, Jesus essentially said, no, not now, to their request. And the reason he did this was that he wanted them to have a more substantive faith in the Lord, which meant their brother had to die. This is clear-headed thinking on Jesus' part. It was an emotional moment where Mary and Martha were really jerking hard on him, but he was so clear-headed because he was not manipulatable. You remember what the first point was? Don't let others control you. And because he would not let others control him, he had a clear head and he knew exactly how to respond in that emotional moment. And this kind of clear-headed thinking can happen when you want what God wants most of all. Too often, we're not thinking about what is best for our relationships. Our thoughts become confused by what we want rather than what God wants. What was best for Mary and Martha meant Jesus had to stand up and do a hard thing. As he said in 624, Matthew, it's impossible to serve two masters. When our friends and family begin to master us, we will not be able to hear from the Lord and we will compromise the help our friends need from us. Six ideas as we look at Jesus' soul care model. Number one, don't let others control you. Number two, determine your relationship quality. Number three, learn to say no. Four, don't be over-responsible. When we try too hard for the desired outcome, we will probably blow up the relationship. People rarely change when and how we want them to change. It nearly always takes more time than we prefer. Here's a bad quote from, I call this person, the myopic discipler. Myopic is short-sighted, can't see afar off. A person who can't see far off doesn't have a long-term game plan. They'll say something like this. The things I have learned in 40 years, you should be able to master in 20 years don't be a myopic discipler where you map your experience where you are today over them and expect them to be like you and when their progress is slow the temptation is is to speed things up by trying harder and that's this point here don't be over responsible don't over care Don't speed things up by trying harder because they're not changing according to your pace. It is like the illustration of the person talking to someone who speaks a different language. What is the solution? Talk louder. After you try to get someone to make the right choices by your wise counsel, and they don't respond appropriately, You resort to some of the things I listed at the beginning. Harshness, unkindness, impatience. You're trying to speed them up. In essence, you talk louder. This response is not the way of Christ. Your job is to water and plant while resting in the Lord to provide the growth. It could be that the kind Lord will grant the change that you want. Then again, he may not. the change that you want but either way you trust him if you try to force the issue be assured you'll blow up the relationship and may even fracture it beyond repair without question you will do things you'll eventually regret point number four don't be over responsible I have two more number five prepare to say hard things now, I want to contextualize that in this, these statements. Jesus was never harsh. He was never unkind. Jesus, Jesus always cared deeply for people. His words were measured, and he dispensed them for the sole purpose of being redemptive in people's lives. There is no place for hate speech. Jesus never tore down or hurt anyone. He was not condescending or inappropriate still yet. He said hard things to people. There is a way to speak the truth in love. If people control you, if you want something from them, you want their respect, you want their approval. If people control you, they will govern your speech. The way to experience release from their power over you is for you to be willing for them to walk away from you, never to come back. If you are more afraid of losing the relationship, then you will be controlled by them and you will be really guarded about what you say to them. You see, Jesus didn't need the rich young ruler, and so he wasn't controlled by the possibility of being rejected. And this is the truth of why Jesus could speak the truth to that man. There was a possibility the Lord's words would send him away, never to return. And it appears that is what happened. If you can't embrace this possibility with the ones you want to help, you will never be able to speak the loving truth into their lives. Point number five, prepare to say hard things. And finally, number six, focus on the main thing. Here's the main thing. Whatever you do, your main goal must be to glorify God. Now, this will be a little bit tricky for some of you, and so let's, let's listen slowly and walk through carefully. You know the text, 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one. 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do uh, to glorify God. Now, if you want to pull this off successfully, that means that all other purposes, all other goals, all other desires, all other motivations must bow the knee at this perfect goal. Let me explain with three illustrations. If your main goal is the salvation of your child, you might not be able to glorify God. I'll explain that in just a moment. Here's another illustration. If your main goal is for your friend To be obedient to Christ, you may not be able to glorify God. If your main goal is for your husband to stop being mean, you may not be able to glorify God. Someone wrote to me in response to my article, Nine Ways to Disciple Your Husband While Submitting to Him. The idea of that article is is this idea that I have written in other articles, and I have a small book about nine ways to uh, disciple your husband while. Uh, 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 how to lead your husband from behind. But in this article, it says nine ways to disciple your husband while submitted to him. And one of the points the person made was that, well, you know, I can do all of these things and the husband may not change. And I fully agree. You see, my point for writing that article was not primarily for a wife to do those things so her husband would change. This is not nine-step plan to change your husband, the main reason that I wanted her to do those things is I wanted her to be Jesus to her husband, and that would glorify God if she was Christ-like to her husband. There's a secondary goal. The secondary goal is that he may change, but if she did those things without Making a mandate or or placing a condition on it. If she did those things she would put Jesus on display She would glorify God. That's the main thing whether he changed Or not is a secondary matter if your primary motive for discipling someone is for them to change you have the wrong primary motivation Too many people think they do what the Bible says to do because they expect a preferred outcome. If this is how you believe, you will not be able to glorify God fully. You're still controlled by your preferred outcome, even if it's a good one. You have to be fully willing to let a person go to hell to be completely free to help them in the fullest ways the Bible teaches If you try to manage or control the outcome, how they're going to respond, how you want them to respond according to what you believe the result should be for that person, you will not be able to do all that is needed to help them freely. Your motives will be clouded by what you believe should happen. You can't manage outcomes. And while this may not be a big problem for those who are not close to you, it's a big deal for those who are in our families, those who are in our most intimate network of friends. This concept of glorifying God, regardless of the outcome, is what makes the Lord's word so profound. Let me share them with you again. I'll read it to you. Luke eight nineteen through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And as he was told, quote, "'You're a mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you,' but he answered them, "'My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. "'If your main aim is to do the will of the Father rather than trying to pull off your will,' You will be entirely free to offer the needed counsel to any person while trusting the Lord for any outcome, even if an outcome, even if that outcome might break your heart. In John 6, 38, we get a a clue into Jesus' model for soul care. He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And sometimes that will can... Break your own heart as you watch people make decisions because those are the decisions that they choose. Six things as far as his model. Focus on the main thing. Prepare to say hard things. Don't be over-responsible. Learn to say no. Determine your relationship quality. Don't let others control you. This is the article, How to Keep from Being Overwhelmed by People's Problems. If you want to talk about it, come to our website. We'd love to talk with you. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net. RickThomas.net.